0: I'm Mike, I'm Austin, we are the test drivers, and we put tech through its paces, and it's here, the ARM future, it's right now. Before we talk about all of the wonderful ARM-powered computers today, uh, I have a few gaming related things that I wanted to talk to you about.
1: Ooh, whatever could that be?
0: Well, you know, it's just the same things that we've been speaking about in this opening segment for the last few episodes, but they're kind of... The new Game & Watch, right? Yeah, you know what? (laughs) There is this funny thing where it's like, this was Nintendo's next generation entry was the Game & Watch. Did you get get one? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah?
1: I forgot about it, actually. And so the day that it came out, which was, I think actually was in the middle of Hell Week, right? It came out like I wasn't expecting it.
0: Yeah, it came out in Hell Week. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so we I dropped by, I, I picked one up, and I was like, you know what, this thing is really fun. I mean, it's a little tiny handheld that plays, you know, was it Ball and then Mario 1 and 2?
0: Yeah, so like it plays the traditional Game & Watch, like LCD game from when these were a thing, you know, decades ago. Uh, which was the ball game, which is just you're basically juggling with Mario. But then, because technology, they've now put like Super Mario (laughs) Bros. 1 and 2 inside of this thing as well. So it's basically like a weird tiny Game Boy. Yes, which, side note, this,
1: look, it was really fun. I definitely spent like 30 minutes as soon as I opened it playing ball. Uh, But uh, can we get a, a Game Boy Retro, please? Maybe 2021? Nintendo? if you're listening
0: yeah you want like one of the like the snes minis like just like a game boy
1: oh i was all over it i'm like straight up There are actually there are ones that you can get that are powered by like a raspberry pi zero yeah um they're like pre-built they have the shell and everything very tempted to get one of those because playing literally just like half an hour on the game watch i was immediately like you know what i need this but i suspect you might be playing a different next generation console
0: yeah, I finally got my PlayStation 5. I did just want to say on the Game & Watch thing, I, I'm not going to get one because I like the look of it, but I bought the NES Mini and the SNES Mini, and I have never used them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those things where it's cool. I like the little Game & Watch box and everything, but it it's a game that you've played a million times.
0: I like the idea of retro games more than playing retro games. <laughs> Which I think I've said on this show before is like I know that backwards compatibility on consoles is important to people but I never want to play old games like I just want to play new games You need Call of Duty 35 every year It's kind of all you know it's kind of all I'm about I, I, Have you played the new Call of Duty game? I have not. I've heard it's okay. good though. I've heard it's good as well, so I've been intrigued to pick it up for my fancy PlayStation Five. Look, I you know, I'm not gonna say anything you haven't already heard. Um, but one thing which is good is my plan worked. The PlayStation Five can be hidden behind my TV. So like you never know, oh, really? I know I don't see it. So I'm super happy about that. Like I like the design of the PlayStation Five. The Playstation 5's design does not fit in my living room. Right. Like <laughs> the way it looks, it makes it like a thing that everyone would just pay attention to it and that's not particularly what i want um it fits i think it fits differently in different places um but does not fit very well in my living room it would look great in my studio i think but not in my living room um so you know but i'm happy because i got to hide it and and it's great uh it's still noisier than i would like i I don't know if that's because i got the disc version i mean it's not noisy all the time but sometimes oh. it loves to really kick up a sound. I think it's mostly related to the disc. Like maybe I should just oh. take the disc out because I have a I have Spider Man in there. Right, right.
1: Interesting.
0: So it's like spins up at certain points and you know, just does its thing. I mostly when I turn it on. So I, I don't know if that's that's probably related to it. But but like, look, the controller is it. The controller, oh. the Dual Sense controller is next gen gaming. Everything else is just like whatever to me. Honestly, it's just like yeah, they look great, but every console looks great. Every new console mm-hmm. looks better than what it replaced. And, like, you know, like, yeah, 4K looks fantastic, and 120 frames is fantastic, but none of the games are really taking full advantage of this technology yet. You know, like, it annoys me that I have to choose, you know, do I want good frame rate or good graphics? I find that really annoying. Um, I want all of it, right? <laughs> Just give me all of it. <laughs> uh, so, like, you know, all that stuff's going to shake out, and this is not really normal, because as well, like, all of the games that are out right now, like right now, are also made for the PlayStation Four and for the yeah. Xbox One X. So they're not what they could be. And I mm-hmm. expect, that in the next year or two, we'll start seeing some of those games. You know, like there are games that were developed with these consoles in mind, and I look forward to seeing those. But stuff I've played so far, uh, obviously, I've played some Astro's Playroom, which you kind of have to. It's the Demo for the controller. You know, like when I talk about how great the controller is, it's coming from that game. Other games yes. do a decent job with it, but Astro's Playroom shows you what's truly capable. You know, like, so I've also played a bunch of Spider Man and Dirt 5, and both of those games use the adaptive triggers, but only kind of.
1: Yeah. You it's know? Fine.
0: The, it's fine. It's like not... it's better, but it's not Astro's yeah. level. And again, it's just like these games were not developed with this technology in mind you know and like neither have the developers i'm sure fully understood how to take advantage of it um you know no one knew this better than sony right like and i'm sure Mm -hmm. that a lot of it was kept to the chest even with the like second party third party developers that they work with i'm sure they didn't have the ability to really tune things as much as they would like but you know like so when you're swinging around with spider-man if you're holding down the trigger to use a web when you press x you feel the the, the trigger release a little bit because you're not holding the web anymore. It's so, like little things like that are nice. I look forward to them being included more but I do ask developers to like just tread lightly though. You know, like I'm happier mm-hmm. that there's only a little bit rather than it being completely overblown.
1: That's one of the things I really want to try are games like Call of Duty which I mean I can really imagine like the different guns and the triggers feeling different, you know, for like the the little pistols versus like the bigger rifles and stuff like that I think is a really easy way to implement the dual sense in next gen games.
0: I read an article that said that um it was kind of pointing out some of the best examples of the the dual sense and I saw some that said that like the the which is why I wanted to try it out that the Call of Duty is actually one of the really good examples of it. Yeah, yeah. So.
1: It's cool, man. I'm I'm glad that you finally gotten your hands on it even though you had to wait an extra week because Yeah,
0: but it was fine. I couldn't have played it in hell week anyway. Be, be, oh that's actually a good point. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh well, okay, so PS5, good stock, not good. But if you've got one, I just think it's one of those things where you've got some games to play. But if I'm being honest, the PlayStation at home, we've been playing like a lot of PS4 games. So yeah. like my wife has been playing through a lot of Ratchet and Clank. I've been playing Grand Turismo. I'm about to jump into the Last of Us Two. Uh, the, the game library for PS5 specific content isn't enormous yet.
0: No, no. Uh, I just found that article. Let me read this passage to you. This is from Polygon. Adaptive triggers and haptics are used throughout the game. This is Call of Duty. In the wildest implementation I've seen yet, pulling the left trigger to aim takes more effort if you're using a heavier gun. Using a yes. massive machine gun, I couldn't fully pull the trigger in as the controller was creating so much tension to mimic the weight of the thing. Meanwhile, the right trigger flutters and pushes back on my finger while I'm shooting, letting me feel the kickback of each round as it's fired. I am now Ugh. going to buy Call of Duty today. <laughs> because I really want to see what that feels like. Because I, yeah. I do think that first person shooters have the the best options here, like for this these triggers. And and I expect that like this this technology was 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 developed with first-person shooters in mind mm-hmm. because it really makes sense, you know, because there's such you know more than I think even more than even racing games. Like triggers are an important, like one of the most important parts of a first-person shooter. It's like that's where all of the action lies. And with a racing yeah. game, you can you could make it any button; it doesn't really matter. Um, Like you know, Mm -hmm. we've all played so many racing games with like X and Square as accelerate and brake. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But but with a first person shooter, really these days, the only way to to make them work effectively on console or with a controller is with L two R two stuff. So you know, I'm sure that's why they ended up going with it. So I also got a Radeon 6800. Oh, nice! They arrived at the same time. Your next-gen games all in one box. Well, I felt like I kind of won some lottery or something, right? <laughs> like, two of the hardest things to get right now, which is a next-generation console and a new graphics card. I went with the 6800 over the XT because I could get the 6800. Like well, the, that's a very My good decision reason. <laughs> for which graphics card I now own is purely based on the fact that I could buy it. <laughs> um, I didn't so it's interesting like I know that the 6800 is closest to the 3070 I guess um, mm. in in the way you would think about it it's like the entrance into the line and I didn't want the 3070 because it looked wimpy I know this sounds so stupid but like yeah because the, 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 I wanted to get the ones that came from like with the reference designs right right and the 6800 looks like the 6800 XT basically mm-hmm but the 3070 looks like a baby brother version of the 3080 <laughs> it's a lot smaller and with the type of pc that i want to build like it's going to be a part of the overall visuals and mm. kind of the 3070 just didn't it just didn't look right to me i i know this sounds super stupid but you know that's just how oh. it felt. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of aesthetics, I guess. But yeah, the 3070, just like I don't really know why Nvidia made the 3080 and the 3090 look so kind of beefy, but the 3070 with its size and the fan placement, I don't know what it is about it, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't look right to me.
1: So now that you're getting your hands on PC parts, is it time for the mic PC build special? Oh or yeah. Are you- Custom do the entire like have you given actually much thought to what your system looks like, the size, the rest of the components?
0: Well, it's definitely been made worse by the video that you put up. Because <laughs> what what? No. You have built the type of PC that I want from aesthetics. Like I want an on the desk small form factor PC. Like that's what I'm that's what I've been looking for. So like what what is that size? Is that M A T X?
1: Yes, so I recently built a new personal gaming rig, actually for the first time in, in several years. I pretty much started from scratch, uh, and I built inside a Corsair 280X. So the thing is, I wanted to get something which was, yeah, micro ATX, so something a little bit more of like a middle ground, because I know that there are some ATX chassis that are very, very compact, but I wanted to build in the 280X, specifically the white colorway, which I've always just liked. The I really about. like it. It looks so good. It's good. I mean, look, the 280X has its fair share of issues as a case. Um, the airflow is pretty much garbage town uh, because you've got glass everywhere. Yep. So there's yep. no clean like intake or whatever. I've got a 240 radiator in it right now. Um, but there's definitely a lot of optimization I want to do. I, one of those glass panels is probably just going to be removed permanently once I kind of get it fully set up.
0: I mean, I would say even like looking at it, that top panel.
1: Yes. Get it out of there. Yep, that's the plan. Because it's like, it's a great case. So if you haven't seen the 280X, uh, I did a whole video on it. But essentially, it's a micro ATX chassis. So it's a fair bit smaller than most systems. But importantly, because it's MATX, you still have four PCI slots. That was important to me because not only do these new cards take up a ton of space, right? I mean, the 6800 XT I've got inside already takes up like two and a half slots anyway. But I also want the ability to install additional things such as a 4K capture card, potentially even like another like 10 gig NIC or something. So I, I like the sort of the middle ground of it. Um, for my next build, or maybe even for your next build, based on what you want to go, there are, like I said, some ATX chassis which are very compact. But the thing is, because so many of these new components, like the CPUs, uh, need like you know radiators and whatnot. But specifically, these graphics cards are just so large. You do kind to have some problems trying to build a very small form factor system and have the next gen graphics all in one.
0: Yeah, I I would say that like just looking at the your build, this is kind of the minimum size I would want to be at or like the it's like I wouldn't want to go smaller than this because again, like this will be my second PC build. I don't want to go too small mm-hmm. because I don't feel like I will be able to do it. Right, like I won't have well, enough space to work in, you know.
1: I don't know. You're soldering keyboards over here. I That's think you true. Can manage it.
0: I have kind of up my geek cred uh, since then. <laughs> I'm working with more electronics components, but I do also have a CPU on the way. Oh, uh, but I don't know anything about it. Well, <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> uh, it might be a Ryzen 9 5900X if I knew a thing or two about it. Uh, yep. I don't know.
0: I have uh, a, you know. a kind benefactor who is helping me <laughs> uh, get a new Ryzen CPU, which I'm super into. Right, like I'm—I I said this in the show. Right? Like I wanted to build, I wanted to build on a AMD system because I'm—I'm yep. I'm kind of excited about what they're doing right now. And so as well, yeah. like I you know I've watched the benchmarks of the 6800. Like I know that maybe it's not like as knockout as some of the Nvidia stuff in some circumstances. But honestly, I'm probably not going to do a lot of gaming on this PC. Like, mm-hmm. It's going to be mostly for me a content creation PC, like for Twitch streaming. Like, I would do right. some gaming on it, definitely, but I'm not going to be really pushing it. And as well, I'm coming from a 1080, mm-hmm. right? Like, I have a lot of headroom. Right, my for me personally, (laughs) where I'm coming from to where I'm going. So like, I'm I'm actually really happy with this, uh, with the 6800 and the and the 1500 X that I got coming. So like, I'm I'm really excited, man.
1: I am very excited to walk through. Do you have an idea now that you've got the CPU and the and the graphics card? Do you have like a timeline of like when you're wanting to build this? And specifically, I guess like, are you uh, starting to get your eye on any kind of cases yet?
0: I'm expecting I'll probably start building it in the new year. Okay. Because I feel like for me now, I've gotten most of the expense out of the way. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, like the, the 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 hardest to get slash most expensive parts are kind of taken up. And also like, I'm willing to make it outside of the case. Personally, I'm willing to make more compromises on the other internals. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if I can't get x ram you know i might get y right and and i'm fine with that more than i would be with the processor and with the graphics card because i had my my kind of my heart set on what i wanted there but mm. i think i'm very likely to go for the the case that you have got because oh, really? i yeah i've been looking at small form factor cases and one of my big problems is like having to work out which motherboards to get. Like, I know I can do it. Like, I can sit down and work it out. But I've Mm -hmm. also been looking for and looking around that, like, who can help me? And, like, you have already created the video, which gives me exactly what I need, you know, like, to build from. So I'm very likely going to emulate your PC build. Ooh, very exciting.
1: I think for your build, it's. I'm really excited to see where you go with with the aesthetics of it, right? Because... For mine i went with all white on white on white with a little bit of black accents
0: yeah i i think i'm gonna be way more like rainbow rgb garbage mm-hmm. than you for <laughs> sure <laughs> i like the white case i do like the white case but everything else going on inside like pff, we, we're talking big time big time rgb rainbow town let's go This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint. The IntraZone is a podcast. I love podcasts. You love podcasts too. Finding new shows is a great way to expand the stuff that you know about, the stuff that you learn about, and also to find something entertaining. If you're looking for something new, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast of conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related technology can work for you and maybe your business. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content knowledge and applications every episode covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements a focus topic of the week guest perspectives faqs and upcoming events as well so you just so you have an idea of what to expect some of the stuff that i found on previous episodes the conversations about working from home figuring out intelligent intranet solutions for your organization and also apis and teamworks and how they can work for you and the people you work with Personally, I love that the show features a ton of conversations that focus on the current challenges of working through the COVID-19 pandemic. Work is changing, and I like that this show helps contextualize the challenges that we're all facing right now and the opportunities. With more distributed working, looking at better ways to make us all work together. Go and listen to it right now. Just search for the IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I N T R A Z O N E, or just click the link in the show notes. Go check it out. Our thanks to the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. You know, this discussion about ARM computers, we're going to talk about ARM Max now. This kind of thing is what makes me so excited that we started this show now. Yeah. Because we've really started at a time where a lot about consumer technology is changing, and I don't think we knew it.
1: It was such, like, you're right, like especially in hindsight, because we've talked about this show for a while, right? And so when we started, obviously, we started, like, literally the day that the Z Flip got announced, right? Which yep. I think has been 80% of the show up yep. until this point throughout the year. Yep. But you're right, between folding phones becoming an actual legitimate option this year mm-hmm. and the transition of the Mac over to Apple Silicon and ARM, and obviously some of the larger trends of you know, the consoles this year, the explosion of the high end of the PC gaming space. I mean, it does feel like we kind of struck gold and like, hey, look at all the things we have to talk about every week.
0: Yeah, and it's like I know that people might find this kind of thing to be a little sappy, but I'm <laughs> like so astounded by the fact that all of these technology companies were able to release their products this year.
1: Oh my god, yeah.
0: Like I'm so thankful for it because it's important for my work, but also like it's the stuff that I love. And mm-hmm. I genuinely cannot work out how they all managed to make it work because every large technology company has had a major release this year and I don't know how they did it right like yeah. with the disruption that everybody's faced to their working lives it's just wild to me that not only do we have this stuff but 2020 has seen has been a year where in these areas there have been major leaps more than usual years and mm-hmm. I genuinely think the biggest one is the new M1 Max it's big, man. This is a, a leap, unlike I think many I've seen uh, in my like 15, 20, 15 years of paying attention to this <laughs> stuff. I'm not that old, i say 20. I'm
1: about to say, like, wow, all right, let's go.
0: I'm really, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, Austin, it's getting close to 20, um, uh, closer than I would like to admit, you know, because yeah. I kind of started really focusing on technology when I was like 15. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna be 33 next year, so you know I'm get I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The old the test drivers, man, the old, the old podcast, old, old technology, <laughs> man. But like you know, I I um my first Mac was the first Intel Mac. Wow,
1: wow! So you've had the whole transition. I had the
0: whole the whole Intel period has been my my kind of uh, time with the Macintosh, and. You know, and seeing what they have so I have memories. I have I have fond memories of the Intel Max and and the way that Apple had the transition in. But I feel like they've already done better with their first products than they did in the first year of the original Intel Transit. Everything is so incredible. So look, you've seen the videos, you've seen the benchmarks, you know, these these things are faster than any mac in their class they're faster than macs outside of their class and they're also faster than pretty much anything else in the industry in their class right Mm -hmm. is that fair to say
1: yes yeah so to set i guess the context so you have uh you got a, a 13 inch pro yeah i got the macbook pro yeah okay so I have spent the last uh week and maybe week and a half or so on the base model MacBook Air. Um, made an entire video on it. I edited the entire
0: video on it. When you said the base model, yeah, because I watched your video, is you using the seven core GPU version then? Seven core GPU, right. eight gigs of RAM, two fifty six gig SSD. Yeah. Wow.
1: Completely base, right off the shelf. Yep. So I have since over the last few days uh switched over to the 13 inch pro as soon as I finished the video. But I think it's hard to understate how rarely this kind of thing happens, right? I mean, I think your, your example of like the last time that they transitioned from PowerPC to Intel back in like 2006, 2007, something like that, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy to think that even then, which that was a huge leap forward, right? I mean, at that time, it was very clear that Intel was the way forward. PowerPC had kind of run its course. They made that transition. This time, it's almost a similar kind of thing, but I feel like it's been executed in a much better way because I, to be fair, was not on the Mac back then, but I know that the transition was fine, but the performance wasn't quite as completely groundbreaking. And of course, they were switching to Intel chips, which were already being used throughout the PC space, right? So there was no major advantage, it was really- Yeah,
0: there wasn't a surprise. It was exactly. a surprise to Mac users. It's like, oh, your your computer runs way faster now. Mm-hmm. But they didn't take the industry by surprise, which I think They're caught up. They have done.
1: Yes. So if you followed the Apple space specifically when you've looked at the Apple Silicon side for the last few years in the iPhone, and specifically the iPad Pro. Right. I think the 2018 iPad Pro was the first time I was like, oh. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. This thing is like a full like laptop class chip in an iPad. It's not a huge surprise.
0: Yeah, the 2018 iPad Pro was when Apple started talking about how much faster the iPad is than Windows PCs. That, that was when they first started talking about that.
1: And now, a couple years later, a couple generations later, the M1 chip is everything that I could have hoped for and more, right? Mm-hmm. And again... I spend most of my time on the base model Air, chopping through all this 4K video, getting like 12 hours of battery life, completely fanless. Like, I mean, it feels like a massive generation leap. And it's like in the PC space. And especially, you know, you look at even like the, the Macs that we've had over the last, you know, four or five years you get 10% more performance. You get 5% more performance. You get, oh, two more cores and, no, oh, you lost some, some boost frequency, right? Like, it's been these little incremental gains, which to be fair, is the way that the PC industry has been for a very long time, right? I mean, the last eight, nine years, short of something like the introduction of Ryzen, it's been little bumps here, little bumps there, but we've gotten used to these single-digit performance gains, maybe 15% on a really good year. But now, in with the flip of a switch, now we've got two times the performance, three times the performance, four times the performance of these Macs, which is crazy town, right? These are not just powerful com- laptops or powerful computers. Like these are like some of the most powerful computers, period. Specifically, when you look at things like the single-threaded score, like those Firestorm big CPU cores inside these M1 chips, are right up there. With like a five gigahertz Zen 3 out of an $800 Ryzen processor on a single threaded basis, right? I mean, sure, that has more, more cores and there's still some advantages there. But when you look at the core per core basis, it is incredible how far these M1 Macs have come. Mm-hmm. And that Ryzen, you're throwing like 50 watts at like one core. It's just like ridiculous stuff. Whereas these M1 chips, the entire MacBook will be pulling like a quarter of that kind of performance or that specifically that power to hit the performance.
0: And, you know, it's just worth noting that, like, to compare, like, to find a comparison in power, you're going way outside of the class of these laptops. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not even... <laughs> like, I know that it annoyed people when Apple were doing their charts and saying 98% of laptop get, like, Windows PCs and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. But now that you see it, you can see what they were saying, right? Yeah. But, like, yeah, yeah there were products... But the products in the market, the computers people buy, they are faster than pretty much all of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: for, you know, I, I would expect cheaper. <laughs> because, well, yeah. which is a funny <laughs> thing for them, really. Like, But if you're going head-to-head on performance, it's going to start to get expensive, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, there's there's so much to talk about with this. So part of this is certainly because of the x86 to ARM transition, right? So it's the same base architecture that every phone and laptop for the last you know, decade plus has used, right? And when you look at the performance of the iPhone, it's clear that there's very little that you can do on an iPhone that actually really taxes the processor inside. Like, I mean, they've come so far, and it's 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 funny to see that, yes, the M1 is a improved version, but it's not that different than what's in your phone. And like we've gotten to the point where you see these huge performance leaps every year on the phone. And you go, oh, yeah, it's, uh, Twitter's a little bit faster, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you unleash it with a full desktop OS. You throw things like Logic, like Final Cut, like Premiere. Like You throw these huge desktop class applications at it. And you realize that the chip team at Apple has been so far ahead that now they finally get to really flex on, hey, look, we've really built some crazy, crazy stuff here.
0: I think it's worth noting. Apple has said this. I, I I believe them. The the it's difficult to say that like you know oh we know the A fourteen, and the M one is one of those right. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that's the case. Like Apple have a yeah. way of making their chips, mm-hmm. and you see the common lines between them. You know like the amount of cores, the split between high performance and uh, efficiency cores and all that kind of stuff, right? You see that, oh, we have this amount of cores in the machine learning processor, all of that kind of stuff. And I think mm-hmm. because just share similarities in the way the chips are made, that people are, are kind of brushing it off as saying like, oh, it's a souped up A14. Like I really don't think that's the case. Like, this is just the way that Apple builds their chips and... I think that it is, I mean, we can look back on this claim now, but I think that it is foolish to assume that the Mac chips will always have this link that you can draw to the iPhone and iPad chips.
1: Because once
0: we start getting towards Mac Pro, it's going to look different. That's how I feel.
1: So it's interesting because if you look at uh, Apple as a chip manufacturer, right, as a, as a CPU, as an SOC sort of company, there are interesting parallels because you look at someone like Intel or AMD, they, like specifically on the AMD side, right, they mm-hmm. make the Zen core, right? That is the, the CPU core they put in all the Ryzen pro- products, Threadripper, you know, the, the Epic server stuff. Like that's, like that's one core that they build that can go down as low as a few watts to fit inside a Thinolite laptop, all the way up to hundreds and hundreds of watts for the entire chip in something like a 64-core Epic server that's chugging away inside some data center for you know years and years at a time. But they designed these sort of CPU cores to be able to scale all the way down and all the mm-hmm. way up, right? So you have this huge thing with any silicon with any CPU, there is sort of a power curve, right? Where you might get 80% of the performance at 30% of the power, but as you start to sort of hit that peak power, you really, really crank up the actual consumption of it, right? So to get that extra little bit of performance, that extra, you know, 20% clock speed or whatever, you'll have to turn it up. And what we haven't seen yet is what Apple will do when they hit that part of the curve. So from all the the benchmarks and all the, the data that we have at the moment, The M1 Max chips are similar in a lot of ways to the A14 as far as their sort of their power consumption and how far Mm -hmm. they've pushed it. So it seems like they clock between 3 and 3.2 gigahertz, which is only a slight bit faster than the A14. Now, mind you, the A14 inside the phones has a cut down configuration across the board. So it has all those same building blocks, but it just has fewer of them, fewer CPU cores, fewer GPU cores, and of course, less TDP to work with. But I think one of the interesting things for me is yeah you're exactly right what is that Mac Pro or the iMac like what happens when they throw more cores at it what happens when they unleash that TDP I'll say like so using the, obviously the the 13 inch air completely fanless it well sure it'll throttle a little bit but the performance difference isn't massive between that and the 13 inch pro No so it's not. in like so I was exporting uh, the actually the video that went up uh, talking about the MacBooks. I actually exported it both uh, on both systems just to kind of see how it would be. The -hmm. 13 was faster, but even with that sitting at like 100% CPU usage and like, you know, cranking as hard as it could, the fan was barely spinning. Like I had to put my ear up to it to even hear it on, which to me makes me think that both of those chips, well, yes, the MacBook Pro has a little bit more performance. and I assume it would be the same for the Mac Mini they're not pushing these chips as hard as they potentially could be. No. And you imagine that once they get to that higher level of performance, when they're really throwing in these, you know quote unquote, pro machines, there are a lot of different ways that they could go with not only more cores, but throwing more voltage and just higher clock speeds and really pushing them over the top. I'm really curious to see how that all shakes out.
0: Yeah, I mean, like that base level MacBook Pro for a while has just been, this is the MacBook Air, but with some additional features. And yep. And that, you know, there is a reason that there are still 13-inch MacBook Pros running on Intel chips, because there is a second shoe to drop with other professional laptops and probably the iMacs, which will have some kind of changes in the architecture to unlock additional power, additional capability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not surprising to me that these two machines run very similarly on the same chips. You know, you get the MacBook Pro if you want the touch bar on a longer battery. Yeah. They're yeah, the differences.
1: Yeah. Yep, I totally agree. I will say there are a few things that have jumped out in my time with it. So the the graphics are also, I think, something which kind of gets overlooked, but is also a pretty major step forward, right? Mm-hmm. So I was playing Fortnite, which is a game which, which, to be fair, is not remotely optimized for M1 whatsoever. Running under Rosetta, um, I mean, hasn't been updated in, I don't know, who knows how many months.
0: I'm assuming it is somewhat optimized for Apple's Metal API. It is,
1: yes. And I think that's the main
0: key. That's to get... why it can, can run. So, like, I spoke yep. to Apple about this exact thing. Oh, nice. And they, they told me that the way that Rosetta works is different. You're not emulating, it's translating. And if, if a mm-hmm. developer is using a native API, a native part of the platform, they will benefit from the M1 optimized version of that. So if you're using Metal, well, you're using Metal on the M1. It's not translating from M1 on Intel. Does that make sense? Sorry, from Metal on Intel. It's just using what's native to the platform now.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, no, that does make sense. That's one of the advantages because when you look at the way the graphics APIs work compared to, you know, sort of more... I don't want to say down to bare metal, but the the way that CPU code is written is just generally different, right? Like graphics mm-hmm. code is always kind of abstracted a little bit one higher level. So it does make sense that there's a little bit more of that portability. But even aside with the, the translation or anything that they have to do to get something like that working, which again is nothing because Fortnite just works right out of the box. What I was really impressed with is on that fanless MacBook Air, I was seeing like 1080p medium at like 50 to 60 FPS, right? That is something that, basically no Mac short of maybe the 16-inch Mac Pro on the iMac could do before. And mm. I'm doing it completely unoptimized on a 13-inch fanless Air, right? like yeah. So there's a lot of sort of stories to the idea that these M1 chips are powerful across the board.
0: I mean, for me, I've mostly been using this Mac for typical tasks, you know, like which is fine, you know, using Safari, you've got sheets and you know, using Twitter and Slack and Discord, that kind of stuff. But I've also been doing all of my audio editing on that machine. Ooh And you know, whilst you know, like stuff like export in the, the project, it's fast. It's faster than any laptop I've used before, um, but it's not as fast as my iMac Pro. But there are some audio tasks, um, like encoding the file, like the final wave file to MP3, where it's neck and neck with my 8-core Xeon iMac Pro with 32 gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> and Logic, so the audio editing tool that I make, that, it, that Apple create, runs smoother on this Mac than I've had it run on any Mac I've ever used. That's awesome. Like zooming in, zooming out, panning around the project, making edits, like dragging hundreds of uh, clips across a timeline. All of that stuff runs so much smoother on this Mac than any Mac I've used in years. It's it's very impressive.
1: Yeah, no, I will completely back that up on the Final Cut side, right? So one of the things we've been doing this year is we've switched over a lot of our footage to the Sony A7S Mark III. Phenomenal camera in many ways, but it shoots uh, in h two six five a very, very difficult codec to work with. specifically, it's ten bit, four two two like there's it's it it makes most of our systems pretty much incapable of editing, right? So you look at we have like fifteen inch MacBooks around. We can't we straight up cannot edit that without transcoding or using proxies. on my sixteen inch like maxed out MacBook pro. I can kind of work with it, but as soon as I put any kind of effect on it or really do any kind of uh, more elaborate edit, it quickly falls apart and the fans are screaming at 100%. It's just, it's maxing it out. On the M1 MacBook Air, it cuts like butter. Now, in many ways, I will say that I don't want to overhype things. Like you, like you were seeing with the, the 13-inch Pro versus the iMac Pro, it is certainly not a, oh, this is a magical chip that is, 50 million times better, and it's just it's, everything is perfect. But in many ways, the Air and even the 13 inch Pro to me feel a lot like the 16 inch MacBook Pro, and that the responsiveness is faster on these M1 Max. Like, it's clear that the CPU horsepower is very much there. The graphics, I think, are good, but especially when I throw like multiple streams of 4K footage and I'm like working with like some ProRes stuff here, 264, 265, adding color grades. Like, it's, you know, some of the more complicated timelines that I work with it did slow down, right? Like some of my, specifically like my playback kinda struggled a little bit, but honestly, it struggled in a way which was not that different than something like my 16-inch MacBook Pro would've handled. And of course, the advantage there is that I'm working on a very, very small laptop. I'm working with something which is making no noise and is giving me very similar performance. And in fact, it is better in some other ways, right? So it's like, to me, This is such a clear win right out of the box for even, like, pretty heavy creative work. It gets better than I was expecting it.
0: And again, it's like the comparisons that we're making are for machines that are typically so much more expensive, so much more powerful. Yeah. You know, the MacBook Air is not a machine for this kind of work regularly.
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I would never edit a 4k video on a macbook air right like i used to use an air back in like 2012 2013 yeah. but my workflow was
0: very different Look, much it's much super less possible taxing. you can do it people can do it but if yep. you're doing it for a living and you're doing it regularly it, it, these things can get very difficult to handle yes but yes. the point is it's not anymore and like the ultimate thing to remember here is like Apple use that phrase. They love to use it about the hardware and software. Like their their benefit is the hardware and software working together in harmony. Basically, mm-hmm. this is the result of that for a Mac. They've not had the ability to do this for the Mac prob- ever, right? Yeah, in the yeah. way that Apple know how to do it now, where they control every piece of the stack, and that allows for them to build things, to optimize things in ways that. What are not possible. I really loved something that um, Marquez said in his in his review. I think he was just talking about them all in general, if I remember rightly, mm-hmm. of kind of like we can't compare these anymore to machines in their class. You can't say this only has 16 gigabytes of RAM and that means it sucks in the same way that iPhones have so much less RAM than their mm-hmm. counterpart phones, but they are so much smoother than all of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like trying to compare a Tesla to a truck, right? I mean, yep. sure, they technically do things differently, but it's not—they don't do mo- like they don't get you from point A to point B in the same way at all, right?
0: No, no, it's it. it's is this a completely different type of thing now, and spec sheets don't work for yes. for these machines. You can't judge them on spec sheets anymore. It's going to become a more objective. Uh, or subjective thing, right? Like it's going to become like this is how it performs. I will instead of showing you. I mean, I guess the thing that you can do is we always have benchmarks, right? And the bench, the tail is in the is in the benchmark, basically. Yeah. And yeah. Look, you can see this thing. These things are just they're doing. They're in a different class. They're just doing mm-hmm. something else, and it really is very exciting and it's wild. Yes. And I expected them to be good but they've surprised me just how good these machines are.
1: I will say, even though I have had a very good time and I really do enjoy using these, it does feel a touch like, you know, 1.0. Um, oh, I will say it, specifically well, on the software side. <laughs> yeah, like, I
0: mean, as well, they look exactly the same as the machines that replace, right? Like, yeah. they don't have LTE in them. Um, there's no touchscreens, uh, nothing, right? Like, they are... It is the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro, and the Mac Mini as you know them. And I do not believe for a second that that is Apple's plan here, but this is how they chose to start.
1: Yeah, and I think what's impressive about it is how smooth, what a, honestly, is a huge transition has been, right? I expected that, you know, native apps would run well, it would be good, it would feel fast. And then apps running under Rosetta would be like decent, right? And so Mm -hmm. obviously, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit, I spent a lot of time recently in preparation for this on the ARM version of Windows, right? To kind of see how that side of the house has been. And that gave me an expectation that non-native apps would run poorly, right? Or like kind of barely acceptably. The thing is, unless you're paying attention, I don't think the vast majority of people would even know that you're running an app that is under Rosetta, that is not optimized at all. It is that good, which is crazy to me that they were able to do something like this, such a huge transition, and make it essentially seamless. Like I could hand my grandma a MacBook Air if she knew how to use a Mac. I would (laughs) hand her a MacBook Air and she would have no clue what was inside it, no clue that there were any app compatibility issues. It would just work exactly the same way. And that is a massive technical feat that they were able to pull off
0: on day one. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? Does your website have a shopping cart, registration forms, or contact us pages? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need Pingdom because nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. This means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business for you. But the good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring will alert you when cart, checkout forms, and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these fail in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. So if disaster strikes, you're going to be the first to know. It's so easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and you can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout and you'll get a huge 30% of your first invoice. A thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show. That is pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial and the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout to get a huge 30% of your first invoice. A thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of Relay FM. So you have Mm -hmm. been trying out ARM on the other side of things by using a Windows machine on ARM. Windows on ARM has been a thing for a while, but it hasn't... It's fair to say it has not lit the computing world on fire.
1: (laughs) So it's funny because, like, obviously Apple has all the spotlight right now with Apple Silicon, the M1 chips, and rightfully so. They've knocked it out of the park in many, many ways. But... Microsoft have been doing this for a while, right? I mean, of course, they spent a lot of time building Windows Phone back in the day, which was pretty heavily influenced by the actual sort of Windows Core. And they ended up moving a lot of that stuff over and sort of combining it with things like Windows RT back in 2013, which, fun fact, that was actually the very first Surface was a Windows on ARM device. It was technically Windows RT at the moment, but, and that was honestly, that had a lot of issues, AKA it only ran apps that were specifically optimized for it it was a little bit rough, right? And it was also running Windows 8, which has maybe not aged the best in the world. But this has been something that they've been working on for a while, because look, the ARM transition is not anything new, right? I mean, the writing has been on the wall for a lot of sort of industries. Specifically, you look at like phones, right? I mean, they've completely dominated that. And so you look at the advantages of the ARM architecture and that it is, generally speaking, much cheaper than buying chips from Intel or AMD. You also get a great level of battery life and the performance year over year has improved at a rapid rate much faster than the traditional Intel and AMD systems of the world, which are in some ways constrained by their x86 architecture, their x64 architecture, I mean, you can certainly look at that and think that, oh, look at all this great legacy we have and all these apps that are going to run from you know 20 years ago, whatever the case is. But in many ways, you look at that as almost a little bit more of a hindrance than a help these days, whereas ARM is just like boom, 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 20%, 50%, 100% faster every year. So I have spent some time with a couple of actually devices over the last few years because after Windows RT, it failed. Uh, did not do well, and they pretty much killed it. Right? No. <laughs> uh, look, it was too early. Right? I mean, it was it was just too early. Twenty twelve, there was no app support. They didn't have the fundamentals there. Um, really quickly, that sort of void was sort of eaten up on the low end. Because, I mean, you have to keep in mind, this is back when the Chromebook was first coming out. And I know that Microsoft were terrified of losing all that sweet Windows and Office money to Google's, like, coming in with the Chromebooks. Mm -hmm. So instead, they partnered up with Intel. They essentially started giving the sort of Windows licenses away for very cheap or pretty much free, to get the price of low-end uh, Windows laptops down to compete with uh, Chromebooks, right? And that actually did work fairly well. I mean, you look around at any kind of, like, electronic store, you'll see a lot of cheap Windows devices, and you'll see a lot of Chromebooks at that, you know, two dollars $300 price point. But they still wanted to try to jump into the ARM ecosystem. So back in 2018, they gave it another try with Windows 10 on ARM. And this was mm-hmm. a much more full version of, of Windows 10, right? This was not like some like, oh, you can only run like five apps and it was running on a little surface. Like they actually brought out like a full version of Windows that would support pretty much everything you'd want with some caveats, but it was running under a Snapdragon processor. Now, Mike, I'm just going to hazard a guess. Have you ever seen a Windows on ARM device in the wild? Have you ever noticed one? Like, do they stand out to you at all? Have you ever actually just like seen one?
0: I would have no, I would have no idea.
1: You wouldn't. No. You also probably haven't, because they haven't sold it many. <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> it's that's a okay. trick question,
0: really. I,
1: I, <laughs> I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean. Look, the guys at Qualcomm, they do a great job. There's a lot of good work they've done. And specifically, they have, I mean... It's hard to say some of this stuff because, like, we've just seen what Apple's done, and it kind of uh, it's on a little bit of another level. But they're also on a different level of budget, just to be fair. But I mean, they've done definitely come a long way, right? So back in 2018 was the first time that I tried the Windows 10 on ARM experience. Uh, so I used it was an HP Envy tablet. So it was kind of surfacey. It was like that two in one. But it was powered by a Snapdragon 835, which at this point is four or five years old. Like it was not brand new by any means and it was just the phone chip right so there was no real optimization on the hardware side there was optimization of course on the software side for windows to run but generally speaking it was just a straight up like the phone the, the exact same chip that you would have inside like your uh, what was it like pixel one or whatever they had back in in 2017 2018 there were in theory a lot of advantages there so when you're using a straight up phone chip, now that you have much better battery life, right? I mean, even with that thing cranking at like 100%, you're still getting far better battery life than any, especially of the Intel or even AMD was a bit of a uh, bit rough back, back then. But it was a clear step forward there. You also had a lot of the advantages of ARM baked in. So like it would instantly wake up like we're expecting on M1 Max. And to be fair, a lot of the new Intel processors are much faster at that. And one of the really big advantages, was that LTE came basically for free, right? So because they were using a phone chip, it had all of the stuff, like it had the modem built in and everything. It was a fairly straightforward process to get LTE up and running, something that I do wish that ARM Max had.
0: Yeah, I hope so. But uh, it was still a little
1: bit rough. So the thing is, Windows on ARM did, at that point, support some backwards compatibility, right? So if you think about Windows, you're using Windows for the legacy apps, right? You're not using it to, you know, use Pixelmator and all these kind of things. Like, you want to, you know, use Chrome. You want to use Photoshop. You want to use these apps that have been around for a long time. I think that's one of the main strengths of the Windows platform. And while, yes, you could run apps, of course, that are optimized, most of the apps that you would run back in the day were 32-bit, right? So it was like, uh, most apps had a 32-bit option, but the thing is, the emulated performance was not great, because you were essentially running on a phone processor, which was weaker, and then when you were running it in emulated mode, you were losing another half the performance, right? So it was not great. Okay, so fast forward to today, where I've spent some time using the Lenovo Flex 5G.
0: <sighs> oh, dear.
1: It's gotten better. It's gotten right. better. No, 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 it's gotten better. It's gotten better, right? Um, so the, the Flex 5G, uh, as the name implies, has five G built in? That's great. It's awesome.
0: It's a. Uh, it also by that would imply that it flexes.
1: It, <laughs> you know what, the name says it all. It does flex. So it's a. <laughs> I just realized that that's why it's called flex. and I'm like, oh, that's really dumb. Uh, can I
0: can I just say right now that we're gonna put a like a moratorium on weird flex jokes?
1: Okay, done, not gonna make done. any of them. All right, all right. The stake has been planted. Okay. <laughs> so, uh. The Lenovo Flex has a—actually, it's a pretty uh, standard form factor. It looks like pretty much every other Lenovo sort of like 13, 14-inch laptop. It just—it's a two-on-one, so you can just rotate the screen around. It's actually mm-hmm. very, very safe-looking hardware. I'll actually say that there are a couple of other laptops. I actually have another Lenovo laptop that I was trying that was actually powered by Ryzen. Almost the exact same chassis, right? So it's almost similar to what you would see on the Apple side where— the chassis are basically identical and they've just sort of swapped out the components. Right. But the difference with the Flex 5G is that not only, of course, does it have 5G built in, and this one's actually co branded with Verizon here in the States. So it has access to the full like millimeter wave network. And that's Ooh. actually something that I think 5G makes more sense for. Yeah. Battery life and speed. I don't need gigabit downloads for my Clash of Clans download or whatever on my phone. Whereas if I'm on a laptop, I'm probably way more likely to be uploading huge files or Mm -hmm. I I can actually use that and I have the battery life to take advantage of it. But the processor inside here is actually a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. So this is using the Snapdragon 8CX. Okay. This is, again, very much built off of the Snapdragon chips that are inside of phones. But this has actually been properly optimized. So it's still fanless and it is clocked higher But they've done some things to sort of improve the performance of it. It's similar to the chip that you would find inside the SQ1 that is inside the Surface Pro X
0: Gen 1. Yeah, because the Surface Pro X, I don't know why it's not just called the Surface X, but the Surface (laughs) Pro X is the the only ARM-based Windows PC that I know about. Yeah, that makes sense because they made a big
1: deal when they announced that, right? Yes. Like, this is like their big thing. It, they're essentially, in sort of the same way that they're working with like AMD on like the the, the Surface Edition processors, it's basically an, uh, a, well, it's essentially an 8CX, right? They've done some minor modifications right. and there is actually now a Gen 2 of it. So I actually have not tried that yet. There is a new Gen version of not only the Surface, but also of this 8CX processor, which is faster, although the benchmark's still put yeah. in like half the performance of the M1, so take that with a grain of salt.
0: Not to jump ahead as such, but I don't think the hardware is the problem. Mm. Mm. Right? Yes. You, can, you can revise these processors as much as you want, and they're doing all they can do, and they're mm-hmm. providing all the benefits they can provide. Yeah. But this is where the, the distinction starts to be drawn between what Apple has done and what Microsoft has done
1: yes okay so look I, I actually used the acx for a couple weeks right okay. and again this was before getting my hands on the m1 max mm-hmm. right so the battery life was great right it really was you know 10 hours plus plus. and the 5g was helpful i actually didn't end up using the millimeter wave but just like with the ipad pro i really appreciate having that sort of mobile network obviously these days i'm out and about less at coffee shops and airports and stuff than I used to, but still, it's definitely something I wish that something like the M1 Max had. Mm -hmm. But the main problem I have with these isn't necessarily the app compatibility, although there are some issues there, but like a fair few of the apps, certainly better than in 2018, have been optimized, right? So I, uh, especially on Windows, I use Edge. It's flawless, they do a great job of supporting it. Pretty, pretty snappy. The problem is though, is that, again, this is a processor which is significantly slower than the m1 max it is significantly less powerful than the phones i have in my pocket right like Mm. that that to me is just that's a big problem right Mm -hmm. like even though i like the battery life and everything i can't really get on board with the fact that the laptop that i carry is the least powerful device on me that is Mm. just not i i can't get behind that right like Mm -hmm. that just to me doesn't sound right and while yes the app support is is decent it is certainly not perfect right so like there are some apps that have been optimized which is are nice but a lot of apps have been promised for years that just have not come out right so there's still no version of like photoshop that works on this thing i mean even apps like like spotify which is not by any means a demanding app doesn't run well and mike you load slack on this thing i wanted to bash my head through the screen it is
0: what what makes it so bad because it's electron everywhere right (laughs)
1: I don't I don't even know, man. I just yeah. Slack would be like I would click on a message and then it would load. I would mm. start typing and the, the the actual keys would be like a second or two behind my key presses. Like it's just hmm. not good. Not good, right? And it really does show the difference between translation, which is what Apple is doing with Rosetta to basically do all the work ahead of time and so essentially the app is running everything Fairly native once you actually load it up. So sure, the first time you load up a, a an Intel app on an M1 Mac, it might take an you know, extra 5-10 seconds to load, but then that's it. Versus emulation, which is what they're doing on the Windows side, it just is a no-brainer. Now, I don't mm. know if that's even possible. I am not going to pretend to understand how much work goes into emulating versus translating this code, but... The performance is clearly not there. Part of that, I think, is just due to the fact that the chip is not as powerful, right? I mean, more horsepower just gives you tons more room to play with. But I think the way that the Apple Silicon transition has been done is just, it feels significantly better across the board. It's tough because I didn't immediately give up. I mean, I used this thing for two weeks, right? If it was really trash, I would not have, (laughs) I wouldn't have spent two weeks on it, right? Right. And I get why a lot of people do use this, right? It's certainly not massively popular. But, you know, I mean, Qualcomm are on their third, fourth generation of these chips. I, mean, I bet we're not too far away from another generation. Uh, they usually announce this kind of stuff toward a, around that CES time frame, And they've continued developing things, right? So they're working on getting 64-bit app support up and running. The 32-bit app support has gotten better, right? So the performance, even though it's still not up to the M1, like they've gotten better at running these older apps. But... I don't know, man. It, it is really like, it was one thing to use the Windows Unarmed stuff before trying M1. And like, okay, you know what? There's some compromises, but it's nice that it wakes up fast and 5G and the battery life is really good. But then I use an M1 Mac. I was like, oh, wait, no. This is what the transition could be. But I think there's some big differences because on the Apple side, I mean, Tim Cook walks out and says, hey, we're switching to Apple Silicon It's going to take a year or two, but this is the future. If you want to make a Mac app ever, this is what you need to build it for, right? Mm -hmm. On the Windows side, they're like, hey, we're building another version. Uh, Developers, uh, support it if you want.
0: And the problem with Microsoft is, oh, and you know us. Mm -hmm. We might change our mind.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like...
0: (sighs) I mean, obviously, Windows is a
1: far larger, far more open ecosystem. It runs yeah. on a billion devices. I think actually literally it runs on a billion devices. And so they're completely within their rights to build lots of versions and sort of developers will pick up the support as needed. And clearly, if Windows on ARM was so much better, that developers would jump on it,
0: people would buy it. But
1: the thing is, it's kind of not really
0: but i think the but the problem is it's a chicken and egg scenario here right it's like look arm architecture ultimately i believe is better for personal computers than x86 architecture with the way everything stacks up right now Mm -hmm. especially on laptops performance Mm -hmm. and efficiency it's there it's the reason that all of our mobile devices run on arm based chips it's Mm -hmm. why intel has suffered so poorly with trying to get into the phone market. They do not make chips for the phone market because the way that Intel makes chips cannot work for efficiency and power. And the move of ARM into laptops and then into desktops, I think is quite clear going into the future as this is going to be a good move. But the support of the operating system and the software has to be there. Apple have nailed it with the operating system. Big runs perfectly. Like, it runs perfect. You'd never know. And they've worked it out with the development community to, one, provide them with a solution in the interim in Rosetta 2. And two, I don't know what it is that they're doing, but, like, Chrome is already ARM compatible on the Mac. And I believe still isn't on Windows.
1: Uh, man it's just like if we saw the same kind of huge performance change going to apple silicon on the windows side i think there would be a lot more excitement on all sides right 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 okay i see what you're saying the problem is is that while yes there are advantages nothing is a knockout win so yes battery life is good but guess what Intel and AMD, and they both actually made pretty good strides. And ultimately, while yes, battery life is important, when you're building a laptop, you can squeeze a little bit of a bigger battery in there usually, and you can make up the difference, right? It is not like something like a phone where you're very, very constrained. You have a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm, then you look at the sort of 5G support. Yes, that is nice but it's still, I think, a little bit more of a niche thing. I don't think that's enough for people to go out. And there are certainly Intel laptops that have 4G and 5G, right? Like it's it's rare, but it is a possibility. And the performance, right? The performance just isn't there, right? Even with a perfectly optimized app, you're still not getting the same level of performance of an Intel processor, and that is still not giving you the same performance of an M1 processor. So it's decent, there's certainly potential. I'm glad that they're continuing to develop it, but you can't really talk about Windows on ARM in the same breath as what they've done with the Apple Silicon and Big Sur. It's just, it, they're just not there. They're just not there. And I don't know how long it's gonna be before they're able to catch up because Apple has such a huge, huge lead and they've knocked out of the park on so many different ways that we've really finally seen the Mac ascend to its final form for now at least.